Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. Last time, I talked about the Second Battle of Bretonfeld, which was another significant victory for the Swedes. Not as decisive or as great a victory as the first one, but it was another blow to the Habsburg prestige. The Swedes also pushed and expanded in the wake of the victory, but a bit more cautiously than they could. But beyond the conquest and victory, the political consequences were severe for the HRE. A number of minor and more major players began to negotiate with the Swedes for ceasefires or at least truces, which included cases where people would effectively become neutral for the rest of the war. The Swedes and French were willing to trade less strategically important land back to those parties as a sign of good faith. And lastly, the Emperor had some of his unrestrained power checked by the deputation, allowing the estates to negotiate with the enemy. But with that covered, let's get started. With the recent defeats, peace was definitely something people were becoming more serious about, with the two permanent neutral grounds having been established the last year or so, which I did mention before, and like I said before, this war was tiring everyone out. Habsburg needed a better foothold to negotiate for the peace, not wanting to be screwed over if they were in a weaker position. And part of this was replacing Leopold Wilhelm as the commander, who had not put on a good show in the last couple battles. But part of this wasn't his fault, as the Swedes had been reinvigorated by their new leader, and sometimes you can lose while making no major mistakes. I'm not claiming he didn't make mistakes, but I wanted to provide a little devil's advocate for that. Leopold Wilhelm wasn't necessarily the issue being created there. Hatzfeld was asked to take over as a new commander, but he refused since his advice had often been ignored by his fellow generals. Which is a fair enough reason as resentment against other generals, your leaders can rise, even if you are loyal to the cause. Gallus was appointed as the commander, who had often filled in the position of second-in-command, and he was a solid leader, having done good against the Swedes and French. Piccolomini did not take this appointment well, sounding, which sounded like he wanted it, and left to join the service of the Spanish king, Philip IV, becoming a commander of the Army of Flanders. The Bavarians also got a new leader as their previous head, Wall, was crippled. The replacement was a man by the name of Mercy. Ironically, a guy named Mercy was in charge of an army. The command was being reorganized and mixed around, hoping to see if they could get different results with new people in charge, or at least in different places. And it might be good to help turn things around, as what happened before wasn't working. And with this new army, the Imperials gathered around 70,000 troops, which was a reduction from the previous decade, but it was certainly useful in trying to counteract or at least stunt the Swedish army. Gallus commanded around 32,000, Hatzfeld had around 15,000, and the Bavarians had around 22,600. The Saxons could only send a few thousand troops, clearly reeling from the recent battering. And a few thousand troops guarded the Upper Rhine, acting as guards and garrisons. And this was just in time, as the Swedes were back on campaign, as the effort to try to get the Saxons out of the war failed, their stance not aggressive enough or position not strong enough to justify at least neutrality. The Swedes launched an invasion through Lusatia, attacking Habsburg land in northern Bohemia in March 1643. The intention was to leave Olmutz and get Transylvanian support, or potential support as it wasn't guaranteed yet, and the Imperials reacted by concentrating forces under Gallus at Koningratz to stop the enemy and sent a force of 4,000 cavalry under a former Swedish officer who defected due to the treatment of Pomerania, who went by the name of Krakow. He was a native of Pomerania, and it wasn't uncommon for people from that region to defect due to the grip Sweden had, ensuring their political superiority in that area. He was sent to attack Pomerania as a distraction, and managed to overrun the eastern half of it, although he was unable to attack the western half due to how well fortified it was. It was too strong, and Koningsmark, the Swedish commander, cut off the officer with a 3,000-strong German detachment, which forced the Imperials to retreat a brutal 50-kilometer march a day. Even on horseback, this was brutal, and those horses must have been tired by the end. He eventually arrived with 1,200 survivors in October, but there was some success that came from this. 
The Swedes couldn't receive reinforcements as this was cutting off their route to get reinforcements, and that in turn dulled the success of the offensive, effectively making the relieving of Olmus the only real thing achieved, the army quickly settling back in Silesia. The Imperials then followed them, retaking Schweidnitz. So without any real success on this offensive for the Swedes, the Imperials at least blunted the Swedes, who had been on a roll for the last year as I covered. And, and since they've not been really talked about, the French were doing things as well at this point. The French marched on the Saxon frontier after the failure of stopping the Gulef Peace in 1642, and Torsenson told them not to enter, hoping that the Saxons would sue for peace, which didn't happen, though I'm not sure how useful the 7,000-strong French force would have been at that place. The French decided to go west, knowing that they might be cut off, and advanced through the main valley, going into Württemberg. But they were then driven out of there quickly by the Bavarians, losing 1,600 men by the time he by the time they fell back to Brizak. The German army was not in a good state, and northwestern Germany was becoming a less threatened place. The Hessians isolated. This wasn't the worst situation, as the strategy had changed for Sweden and France. Cardinal Richelieu had died in 1642, and Mazarin had taken over his position. The new policy for the two crowns was less focused on direct help, and more on each side doing their own job for the greater whole. Sweden was focused on the Habsburg lands, while France would attack Bavaria through the Black Forest, trying to keep them tied down to a minimum. The Hessians were in place to help keep the Westphalians busy, and this strategy would take a while to fully put in place, only really coming to full use by 1645, which made sense for a new wide-scale strategy, especially one that covered a whole big country. It takes people a while to plan out and get used to new directions of war, especially if the cards wanted glory and to advance their position. But while we wait for 1645, France would have a real bad start to this. The war against Spain was still going, and that was drawing resources away from the war in Germany. I will talk about that next time and probably one or two parts. It's a whole big topic. It's like 30 pages in my book, but I'm going to simplify it down a bit just so we get the bare bones of what happened. Gubernant, who was the commander of the French forces and of the ex-Bernhard troops, was only able to stabilize his army and advance again when his wife arrived with reinforcements, bringing his army to 11,000 in June. This was brought on because Mazarin needed to ensure the stability of his new rule, so victory would aid in that. Gubernant advanced to Hohentwil, but was blocked by Mercy, so the French general redirected his troops to consolidate his grasp on the south on the southeastern Black Forest and prepare for another campaign for the next year. And in 1643, he tried to attack Rotwil, but that that was once again relieved as Mercy broke the siege, which the French then retreated over the mountains. Imperials didn't pursue them, occupying Baden-Durlach and Lower Alsace. But those were minor skirmishes compared to the next one, although this could be generously called a battle. The Battle of, of Tutlingen was different than many of the other battles, as it wasn't exactly a big field battle. Mazarin needed a success, so he sent 6,000 reinforcements to Guberon after Sirx fell to the French in September. They came under a commander by the name of Ransau, who took over after Guberon was mortally wounded taking Rotwil in November. So command went to him, which created friction among the ex-Bernhard officers. I couldn't exactly find an exact reason why in my books, but my gut says it had to do with potentially a lack of respect and that Guberant had earned the respect previously. I will say don't quote me on this, but I say this is a minor point, as all that is need to be known is there was less trust in Rantzau versus Guberant. Rantzau left another officer holding Rotwil to winter at Tutlingen with forces at Molingen, Moringen, which were to the flanks of the village. But to the misfortune of the French, the Hessians being isolated and inactive led to the Imperials gathering six regiments under Hatzfeld, along with a smaller force under Duke Charles, giving around 15,000 men to mercy. Not that they gave him 15,000 men, those reinforcements brought him up to 15,000. I should have made that clear. Mercy was a skilled commander of the Imperials, 
and gotten the other generals to march east around the Black Forest to attack the French, hopefully catching them by surprise. He approached Tuttlingen from the southeast, having crossed the Danube at Sigmaringen. The move was smart, as approaching from the north would have exposed the flank of his army to one of the detachments. It had also went attacking across the Danube, and attacking across the river is always a risk. This plan certainly was a better one, and what helped him was the fact that he managed to capture the cavalry screens of the French, meaning his approach was unseen, leading to a surprise attack, as those screens were generally seen as intelligence and detecting the enemy. The first attack on the French was the cavalry burst into the trees in early November, capturing the slightly guarded artillery near the outskirts of the town. Troops near Homburg Castle were also ambushed and were quickly overwhelmed. The Bernhard cavalry was rushed from their billets in Mullingen, although they were quickly pushed back by the Imperials, their remaining infantry crushed as well. The French cavalry at Moringen was also attacked, led by Worth, and were overrun like the others, which included a 500 man of Spanish soldiers who had been forced to join the French army, and as the book points out, they probably would have been eager to rejoin the Imperials. But problem is, in a world like this, you can't know for sure. The cavalry eventually fled from this battle, quickly actually, the infantry surrendering to the Imperials. Rensau and the remaining force at Tuttlingen surrendered as well, and the men at Rotswil surrendered soon after. And like I mentioned earlier, I barely called this a battle, as it was short and the French barely fought back. It was well planned and executed, the French caught by complete surprise. The French intelligence failed them, and without any warning, the French had no chance. The Imperials lost around 1,000 men, while the French lost anywhere from 7,000 to 10,000, along with 10 guns and supplies. The French officers' wives were taken hostage, along with 10,000 talers and a month's pay in cash for the, for the officers in the army. Commoners then attacked and killed the stragglers, with only around 4,500 reaching garrisons on the Rhine. A few officers managed to escape, but most were captured or killed. More emphasis on the captured rather than killed. But despite this seeming like an overwhelming victory of the Imperials, and I will say it was a victory for them, the French courts were able to downplay the loss so well that it was often on any history book. So this wasn't seen as a loss, even though there was an effect, because the French still lost the veteran army, and the Rhine situation really hadn't changed at all since 1638. So not the worst, but not good for the French, even though they managed to downplay it, which is impressive in my book. Like I've said before, this war is swings and roundabouts. The Swedish and French either slowed down or delayed, despite 1642 being a very successful year. Though once that new strategy was firmly in place, things would definitely go better. But that is it for this week, as we move on to the summary of the war between the French and the Spanish, leading up to the Battle of Rockery. I want to thank you all for listening. Social media links will be in the description box or in the links themselves. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Remind that of Patreon, and thank you to those who support me. And please review and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.